Good morning, Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome Smyrna Campus. Welcome everybody that's uh, connecting with us online. We're so glad that you're with us today. We are excited uh, that we have some really good things coming up. Uh, and I want you to be able to follow along and keep up with all those good things. So I want to remind you, you can like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can uh, get the ability to, uh, some, some of you are really good technolo with technology. I know some of you, maybe not. Our website, lakeshorechristian.com, you, you can set that as your start page. That's what I did on my computer. When I open up my computer and start it, it pulls up lakeshorechristian.com as the first page. Now, I'm the pastor. You would expect that of me, right? But, but I would encourage you to maybe do that too. We are... Uh, continuing a series of messages uh, through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you want to be turning there, uh, getting that, holding it in readiness, we'll be in chapter 10 today of 2 Corinthians. The, the title of the series is Be Encouraged. And I love the clip that we used. It's a quote uh, about uh, the credit belongs to those who are actually in the arena doing things, not the critics on the sidelines that are criticizing what everybody else is doing. I just want to do a survey before we start. How many of you feel like you've ever been criticized unfairly? Raise your hand. The whole room, probably everybody online, probably everybody at the Smyrna campus too. We all feel like there's been a time along the way, maybe more than once, all right, where we have been unfairly criticized. It didn't feel good, did it? So before we get into the series, uh, the message today, I want us to do a little... Uh, Self-check. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But how many of you have unfairly criticized somebody else or something else? Yes, a lot of you are raising your hands anyway, right? I'm in that group too, right? I think we've all done some of that. So we need to start with getting the plank out of our eye before we move forward with being able to help others and, and learn what we need to learn about how to cope with criticism. Today's message is coping with criticism. How do you deal with it in your life? Uh, there was an artist, a young artist who was just getting started and he finally got his first big art show. He had all of his paintings on display at this location and there was a famous art critic that heard about it and came to look at his work. And so the art critic got there and he looked around and he, and he found the artist and he said, do you want to know my opinion? Do you want to know what I think about your art? And the artist said, yeah, okay. And the art critic said, it's worthless. And the artist said, I know, but tell me anyway. <laughs> it took some of you a minute, right? One of the things we have to learn, and I heard this saying a while back, and I really love it, is never take criticism from someone you would not take advice from. Never take criticism from somebody you would not take advice from. I really like that because we need to understand that there is such a thing as constructive criticism, and there are certain people we know we can trust who really are wanting what's best for us who could help us with some constructive criticism. But what I see mostly in our culture today has nothing to do with constructive criticism. It's just habitually complaining and criticizing and tearing people down and tearing efforts down, tearing, tearing the work down that people are trying to do. 
And we got to learn to cope with that because it's not going away anytime soon. We don't want to contribute to it, but we will learn. We need to learn to cope with it in the right way. I saw this posted uh, on Facebook. By the way, you can see a lot of criticism on Facebook, but you can see some good things too, right? Uh, this was a good thing. It said, quit worrying about what everybody else thinks. When you come to the end of life, you're not going to stand before people and give an account of your life. You're going to stand before God. We need to remember that, don't we? If we start there, it'll help us a lot with coping with criticism. Well, I want to read through this uh, chapter here in 2 Corinthians 10, beginning with verse 1. I want you to follow along because the Apostle Paul is addressing the fact that he has been receiving criticism. Even from among this group there in Corinth, he's been receiving some criticism. I know this will come as a shock to you, but sometimes pastors get criticized. I know. I know. You're shocked. I'm sure you've never participated or been a part of that, and I thank you for that. But, but some people actually do that. And, and Paul was in that position that as a leader in the church, as a pastor that was helping spread the gospel, he was doing missionary work and planting churches all over the place and then, and then encouraging those churches. Even in the process of doing God's work, what was he facing? Criticism. And so I want to remind you, all of us need to remember, even when you're trying to do good things, the things God has called you to do, what are you still going to face? Criticism. So learning to cope with it is essential. It is essential if we're going to keep doing the work God has called us to do. So let's listen to what Paul has to say about it. Verse uh, 1, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident they that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you in my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. <laughs> That'll build you up, won't it? <laughs> Such people should realize that when we are what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did not get as far as you with the, as with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of the work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand. 
so that we could preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. We did not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. I want to break it down today to five things to remember when you are facing criticism and you have to respond. You have to decide, how am I going to respond to criticism? I want to encourage you that there are some good ways to handle it. There's some good steps to take in the face of criticism. Now, if you're not being criticized right now, praise God, thank God for that. But it's coming probably. If you, if you try to do anything, step out there and do anything good, what's going to happen? You're going to get criticized. Sometimes by people that you least expected to get it from. Sometimes the people that are closest to you that you love the most sometimes. It happens. So here's what you need to do. Learn, learn to deal with it properly. So five things. The first one is this. I think Paul makes it clear here. Criticism is normal. Yeah, you shouldn't be surprised when it happens. It's just the norm. Let's look again at verse 1. He said, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when you are away. You know what he's repeating there? Part of the criticism they made of him. He, he's repeating it back to them. Now, he's not saying everybody there said this about him, but he knows he's gotten the report that some people have said, oh, yeah, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul. Right? You can hear him now, can't you? Right? Thinks he's so big. But he's really just very timid when he's here with us, but he's really bold in his letters when he's away from us. Right? In other words, he's not the same. He's not really that strong. When you see him face to face, he's not impressive at all. I, uh, I spoke at, a, uh, had a funeral uh, celebration of life service here yesterday. And uh, the guy that we were remembering his life, uh, it was a uh, part of our church family here. And uh, uh, his brother was here. And his brother, uh, I've gotten this more than once. I want you to know, this is not surprising to me at all anymore. He walked in, and, and I introduced myself, and he says, yeah, I know who you are. I've seen you online. I thought you'd be taller. <laughs> you know, face-to-face, -face, you're not so impressive. Online, it's different. You know, the camera angle, not too bad. You, look, you, know, uh, you know, I've told the camera people back there to treat me like Tom Cruise in the movies, right? I don't know how many of you know, but Tom Cruise always had them shoot his scenes from lower with the camera angle to make him look taller. He did that with all of his movies. And, and I can relate to that. I resemble that remark, right? Uh, and what they're saying about Paul is he's not so impressive when you see him in person. You get to know him a little bit, right? Now, what does that sound like is probably behind their criticism? A little jealousy there, you think, maybe? A, a little jealousy that Paul was being praised and, 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 and listened to, and maybe they weren't like they wanted to be, okay? Uh, and, and so Paul knows that in his role as a leader in the church, what's going to be normal if you're up front and doing anything? Criticism. It's just going to be a normal thing. You, you have to expect it. And you too in your life too. Whether you're leading in a church or in a business or trying to lead in your home, uh, you're going to get some criticism along the way. Maybe you're trying to lead in the community and get some good things done there. You're going to get some criticism for it. Anytime you try to step out and do good things, people are going to be there to criticize. Look at verse 10. Some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. 
Now, you want to put a dagger through a preacher's heart. That's a criticism that'll do it, right? Well, he's a terrible speaker. You ever heard of him in person? He's awful, you know? It's kind of like a, a, a musician too, right? You, you, uh, we got a lot of musicians in the area and some in the church here and they work hard on a song and they go in the studio and they record it and it sounds really good when you listen to the recording that they did of it and you go to hear them live and auto-tune is at work and it's not perfect, right? Because right. in the studio, you can correct things that you can't correct live, right? It's different. And so you might say, well, yeah, yeah, the recording's pretty good, but you don't want to go to this concert. It's disappointing. You know, they're not so good in person. So Paul's getting those attacks, getting those criticisms in his life. But he's, he's handling it in a way as if it's the normal thing. That's just part of it. It comes with the territory, right? And the sad thing is it even comes in the territory of the church. It, it even happens in the church among brothers and sisters in Christ. The place that should be the last place it happens, it still happens. And what we have to understand is the role of the church is to take very flawed people and help grow them up to be like Jesus. And what do very flawed people do? Given enough time and opportunity, what do they do? They mess up. And sometimes they'll be critical. Sometimes they won't handle the things the way they should. But that's not Jesus. That's those people trying to grow up to be like Jesus. Don't ever get those mixed up. Don't ever get it mixed up. It's normal for flawed people to have mess-ups in their lives, to do wrong things, to, to not handle everything the way they should. Don't let that take you away from Christ or his church just because the only way we could get rid of the flawed people in the church is for all of us to leave and never come back. That's the only way. So criticism is just going to be normal. It's going to be there. And we have to learn to deal with it. And part of dealing with it is learning that it's normal. In John 15 and verse 20, Jesus said this to his disciples. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll, all, they'll persecute you also. If, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey your teaching. Jesus said it comes with the territory. They, they, they criticized me. They persecuted me. If they did it to me and you're following me, what do you think is going to happen in your life? You're going to get some criticism too. You just need to know it's normal. It comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. If you understand that it's normal, you don't get so crushed by it. You don't get so discouraged by it when you understand that it's normal for people who follow Christ to be criticized. Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, he said this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, he said a whole lot in that, those verses, but here, here's part of what he's saying. He's saying you're blessed when you get criticized and persecuted for the right things. He's not saying it's always a blessing to be criticized or persecuted. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's a blessing when you get criticized and persecuted because of your decision and your action to follow me, to follow Christ. When you're walking where Christ wants you to walk and you get criticized for that, then be grateful for that. 
it's a good indication you're doing something right when you're following Christ and you know you're in his will and people criticize you for it. Uh, it's, it's one of those indicators that you are in good company with Jesus. And he said, and the prophets too that came before us. They were criticized that way too. Sometimes we look at the Bible and we look at the heroes of the Bible and the prophets of the Bible and we think they were always loved and respected, right? Those great prophets, great men of God and women of God. And the truth is they suffered criticism and persecution throughout their whole ministries. They all did. So don't be surprised. Don't be taken by surprise when you face criticism. That's the first thing. Criticism is normal. Second thing, when you get criticized, refuse to fight with worldly weapons. Refuse to fight with worldly weapons. All right, let's go back to the scripture again here in chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Hmm. He says we don't fight the enemy's attacks with the weapons of the world. Now, when it comes to criticism, what are some of the weapons of the world that the world uses to fight back with when you get criticized? One is... You get angry, right? You get mad that somebody's criticizing you. Now, your anger in itself at the beginning doesn't necessarily mean you're doing anything wrong. I get angry sometimes, too, if I feel like I'm being unjustly criticized. That, that angers me sometimes. It probably angers you, too. That in itself is not bad. But in our anger, what can we do? We can go into sin if we're being controlled by our anger. And one of the sinful things we do when we're angry because we've been criticized is we start attacking the person who criticized us or the group or the institution that criticized us, right? We'll show them. And we can get to the place where we want to get revenge on them because they've criticized us, right? We, we want to hurt them back. Because they've hurt us. That's a weapon of the world. Revenge is a weapon of the world. Uh, Romans 12, 19, he said this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Who do we need to leave the revenge part up to? God. Do you think he can handle it better than we can? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God can take, he can handle this. He can take it and he can give it out. He can dish it out too, right? Now, he doesn't take joy in getting revenge, but he, he does have a righteous way of allowing people to suffer consequences for what they're doing when they're outside of his will. And, and so we need to trust God for that part of the response and not fight with worldly weapons like revenge. Another thing, though, that we can do is not just try to get revenge, but we start trying to make sure we don't ever do anything that we're going to get criticized for anymore. That's another worldly weapon. Satan loves this weapon. He loves the revenge one, too, if we go there. He loves it also, though, when we start thinking, I just won't even do anything that I might be criticized for. Now, how many things will you ever get done when you take that approach? You won't get anything done anymore. 
What you're going to do is pull back and go into a little shell, and you're never going to step out and lead for Christ anymore. You're never going to be the witness he wants you to be. You're never going to have the influence or the impact in the world because you're so scared that somebody is going to get upset with you and criticize you for standing up for Christ, that you won't be bold for him anymore. We live in a culture that's called now the cancel culture, right? You say the wrong thing at all. Anybody takes it the wrong way. What can they try to do to you? Cancel you out. I mean, look at, you know, any politician that says the wrong thing. They want to shut them down, you know, call, get them to, to step out of office or, or not be reelected. If you have an actor that says the wrong thing or does the wrong thing, they don't want to give them any parts anymore. You have a head of a company and the company uh, head says something they shouldn't say. They want to boycott the company, right? It's the cancel culture all around us. Same thing for Christians. You speak up for Christ, you're going to get attacked, you're going to get criticized, they're going to want to cancel you out. You speak the truth of God's word, even when it's clearly written there, if it goes against what they feel like it ought to say, they attack you for it. All right, it's the cancel culture. And if you're not, if you want to fight with worldly weapons, what Satan's going to get you to do is just stop completely. Just give up. Don't even try anymore. See, retreat is a worldly weapon, too. And Satan wants us as God's people to retreat from the mission that he's called us to, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples of Jesus. You have to speak up. You have to be, now, you have to do it with love. You have to do it with tact, but you have to speak up to make disciples. You can't do it without speaking up. People say, I just let my life speak for me. That's good. Your life should match what Jesus says your life ought to be. But part of what he says your life ought to be is a witness who testifies to the truth. You have to use your words. You can't do that just by example, by living your life. And we are afraid in our cancel culture because of the backlash we're going to get to speak truth out of love to people. It can cause you to retreat and surrender your calling that God has for your life. Instead, we need to not fight with worldly weapons. We need to let God handle this for us. He has given us the right things to do, which is the next few things we're going to talk about here. The third step that I want you to think about when you're criticized is this. Respond only when necessary. I want to repeat that. When you get criticized, respond when? I'll try it again. Smarter campus, come on. People online, respond when? And did you, did, now, will you write it down? Will you remember that? Will you let it stick? Right? You don't have to go to and attend every argument you're invited to. You do not. You don't have to participate in it. You don't have to jump in there and get on their attack every time somebody says something that you don't like or criticizes you or you think makes you look bad. You don't have to respond every time. Now, we're going to talk about there's some times when you need to, but, but you don't have to do that all the time. That's not what God's called you to do. Remember, vengeance is his. Let's let him handle some of that for us. We don't have to handle that. He's better at it than we are. Respond only when necessary. Uh, Paul here, let's look at verse 13. 
He says, we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits. In other words, he knows this criticism has been going on. He knows he's heard it before this. He hasn't been responding to it. That's what he's saying, okay? Now he says, but we'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. Here's what Paul says. The only reason I'm even talking about this now is because it's affecting my ministry with you in a negative way. And the way I'm addressing it is with you, not with the people that are criticizing me. I'm not getting into a back and forth with them. I'm just going to talk to you. Because you're under my charge from God. You're part of the responsibility God's given me. And how this affects you is something God holds me accountable for. So I'm addressing it with you. Way too many times we get into arguments with total strangers on Facebook or some other social media platform as if we're going to pray, you know, bring praise and glory to God because we, we got into an argument that went on and on and on on Facebook. And we, we feel good about it. When in fact, that might not have even been the real person you were talking to. It could have been anybody. You don't know, right? People love to stir stuff up. They use fake accounts and fake ID and all of that to, to get people stirred up. They just love to see the thread start blowing up, right? They just love that they were part of making that happen. Makes them feel good about themselves. And you let them, you let them jerk you around and do that to you when you get involved in that. You don't have to do that. Deal with the stuff. and you're, uh, Have you heard the expression, stay in your lane, bro? All right. Paul says, I'm staying in my lane here. This is the lane God gave me is, is ministering with you, helping you, teaching you. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to talk to you about these things. So you know what's going on. And you know what the truth is about these things. You don't have to involve everybody else. Just the ones God has called you to be responsible for. There is a... a, a a book in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. I've preached through it several times, and I love it. It's a great book. And Nehemiah was used by God to go and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem after they had been destroyed. They had been left in ruins for years, and then God calls Nehemiah to go lead the people to rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And when he goes back and starts leading them, they, he has enemies right off the bat when he starts the work of rebuilding the walls. If you remember, you go back and read through Nehemiah, they start attacking him as soon as he shows up. They're already criticizing Nehemiah for coming there to help the people rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And they, they started all kinds of false rumors about Nehemiah as a person, about why he was there and why they were rebuilding the wall. They were doing that the whole time, but Nehemiah didn't address it at all. He just kept rebuilding. He just kept assigning the work and getting the work done. And before you know it, they've got the wall almost completed. And he gets more criticism. Only it gets more direct and more personal. In Nehemiah 6, in verse 1, it says this. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Here's the message they sent him. Come. Let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> ono might be a clue, though. <laughs> oh, no. This sounds innocent, right? Hey, Nehemiah, can we set up a meeting with you? Let's just talk. 
got something I want to talk to you about. You know, sometimes you get somebody that says, hey, can I, can I set up a meeting with you? I want to talk to you. What do you start thinking? What's wrong now, right? Why do they want this way? Especially if they won't tell you ahead of time what it's about, right? Uh, I got something I need to talk to you about. That, that never, you know, our minds don't usually go to something positive, do they? It's usually something negative. And Nehemiah has heard, he's gotten all the reports about these guys just tearing into him all through this project. So he knows they're not good guys, but they try to act like they are. Oh, Nehemiah, let's, let's set up a meeting. We've got a place we'll meet with you in a village there in Ono. But he says, Nehemiah says, but they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I love this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah caught something that I'm sure God gave him the wisdom to see that you need to see and I need to see that the church needs to see as people keep criticizing Christ followers. Here's this. Satan would like nothing better than for us to stop the work to go into these arguments with people and get caught up in the arguments and the debates with people. What's going to happen to the work if we do that? The work's going to stop. The work God has called us to, gifted us to do, prepared for us to do in advance is going to stop. It's not going to get done if we get caught up in these debates and these arguments all the time. Sometimes he's using politics for that among Christians. Sometimes he's using a plague or, or, or COVID, right, to, to get Christians all caught up in arguments about it. He's, he's using all kinds of stuff to get us distracted from what we're supposed to be doing. Go and make disciples. Are we doing that or are we caught up in the arguments all the time? How many disciples have you made lately? Think about that. Because that's the call from God. That's the assignment from God. For every Christian is to go and make disciples. How many disciples are you making right now? How many people are you discipling right now? Or are you too caught up in the arguments of the world to stay on task with what God's called you to do? That's a good question for all of us because it's really easy to get caught up in the arguments, isn't it? Here's what he did, though. He said, I know what's going on. I don't want to leave the work. But it says, verse 4, four times they sent me the same message. Each time, what did he do? Gave them the same answer. See, you don't have to participate every time. But verse 5, then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his aid to me with the same message. In his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it's reported among the nations. And Geshem says it's true. All right, so I got back up here. Geshem says it's true too. I don't know who Geshem is, but he's somebody he thought would be influential, right? He says, and Geshem says it's true. And here's what he says. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king, and even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. Finally, he says, here's why we want to meet with you. Oh, there's these rumors going around that you're trying to set up your own kingdom, and you're going to make yourself king, and... That's not good, Nehemiah. We need to sit down and talk about it. Let's set up the meeting now, okay? See, they tried everything else and nothing worked. So now they try these false accusations against Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah's response, verse 8. If you haven't read this, go back and read it. This is great. I sent him this reply. 
Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. <laughs> I think I'd like Nehemiah when I get to see him uh, later on in heaven because he's got a little bit of my sense of sarcasm and uh, humor there. You're just making this up out of your head, man. It's crazy. <laughs> Nothing like that's going on here. We're just rebuilding a wall around Jerusalem. That's all we're doing over here, right? But you see, sometimes you do have to answer. But make sure you answer wisely when you do. Don't get caught up in a back and forth argument about stuff. Just say what you need to say, truthfully, lovingly, and let it go. That's what Nehemiah did. You know what he did after he gave him that reply? Got back to work on the wall. He didn't stop. He didn't set up a meeting. He just went on back to the work that God had called him to do. Get back to the work, people, that God's called you to do. Quit getting caught up in the junk that Satan wants to divert you with from the work that God has called you to do. Let's make disciples. The fourth thing is this, and it'll help you get back to the work. When you get back to the work, be confident that the truth will prevail. The truth will prevail. Look at verses 4 and 5. I love, I love this encounter here. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, he said, remember? On the contrary, the weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, if we simply stay with what God has called us to do, what ends up happening? When we stick with the Word of God, the Word of God is powerful. It's living. It's active. When we're just sticking with that and teaching that and practicing that, you know what the Word of God does? It never returns void. It never returns without accomplishing what God wants to accomplish ever. Let's make sure we're fighting the right battles with the right weapons. Let's stand up for the truth of God's word. Let's teach that with love the way he tells us to and let's practice it regularly in our own lives and not get sidetracked with all the other arguments that Satan would like, us, like for us to get caught up in. In 1 John 4 and verse 4, John tells us this. You, dear children, he's talking to Christians, are from God and have overcome them, talking about the people in the world and their battles, right? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. How do you know you're going to have victory? Because the one in you as a Christ follower is greater than the one who's at work in the world. Sometimes it looks like the one in the world is winning. It looks like they're gaining more ground. It looks like those who follow Christ might be losing along the way when they seem to be gaining, right? But here's what you need to remember. The one who is in you, now who's he talking about? Who's in you as a Christ follower? The Holy Spirit of God himself is in you, right? He is God in spirit. He is in you. You know what the scripture says about the Holy Spirit? He's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and me. Are you going to win? Is he going to win? He's already won. You don't have to worry about the outcome. You don't have to feel like, oh, no, we're losing ground here. No, we're not. God does not lose ground. It's all his ground. He owns it all, and he hasn't given any of it up, and he's not going to. 
We're not losing any ground. Uh, what you're losing is the culture that you liked around you. That's what you're losing. That's what you're mad about. But you're not losing a war. The war has already been won. You got to remember that. I'd love for the culture to always be what I want it to be too. But guess what? For the church in the world, it's never been that way and it never will be that way. Ever. It's a fallen world. It's under the curse of sin. This is not heaven yet. We won't have that culture until we get into heaven. That's when we're going to have that culture. And that's already been won. That's already been attained. We already have the power in us for eternal life. It's there already. Nothing can take it away from you. Leads to the fifth step. I want to close with this one. Keep your eyes on the goal. What are you really supposed to be doing with your life? With your time, your energy, your resources, the opportunities that God gives you. What is really supposed to be done with your life while you're here? Because if you can keep your eyes on the right goal, then the criticism won't get you sidetracked. Right? The criticism won't get you off of the track and out of your lane that God's called you to be in. Look at verse 8 again. Paul's talking about his goal. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. Paul said, you know what God called me to do for you? Not argue with those enemies, what? To build you up. He's called me to build you up. Now he's talking about building them up in Christ, building them up in their relationship with Christ, building them up in their walk with Christ. He said, my job is to build you up. Not to win those arguments with those people who don't like what I'm doing. Keep your eyes on the goal. On what God's called you to do. The greatest example. Well, let's look at verse 12. He says some of the same things again. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. Paul is saying... I'm not going to get into that comparing myself with them and them comparing themselves with me. One of the criticisms they had of Paul was he was not one of the original 12, right? The original 12 apostles. Paul became an apostle later. He was known as Saul. He was a persecutor of the church. He had that experience on the road to Damascus where Jesus appeared to him there and called him into his apostleship role to the Gentiles. And he, he, so he came after the fact. He's not one of the original 12. And they always, the, his enemies would always throw that up in his face. You weren't even one of the original ones Jesus picked, right? He picked 12 others. He didn't pick you. And they made it seem like he was not on the same level as the other apostles. Now, when you get criticized like that, what's the first tendency you have? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fight back, right? I'm going to defend myself, right? I'm going, to, I'm going to argue this fact with them. Now, Paul had plenty of reason to argue. He knew why he, God had called him, and he knew he was called specifically by Jesus himself to do what, God, what he was doing. So he said, I just need to stick with what I'm supposed to be doing. Look at verse 18. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Paul said, you know what my concern is? Not that I can commend myself to you and make you get convinced that I, I am a worthy apostle. That's not what my goal is. 
My goal is to be commended by who? God. You see, I, what you say about me really doesn't matter. What really matters? What God says about me. That's what really matters. It's what God says about me. I love Paul's example here. We've got a great series of verses here where he's dealing with criticism. But I want to stop at the end here and think about Jesus and what he did. Jesus, for a little while, had the crowds adoring him, right? But the whole time that the crowds were coming to Jesus, there was a group over there on the side who was getting jealous and hating everything about what Jesus was doing. And they were critical of him. And they were trying to start rumors about him. They said he's gone mad. He's crazy. They said he's, he claims, you know, they made false accusation about the claims that Jesus made. You know, Jesus said, tear down the temple. I'll build it back in three days. He was talking about his body. But they said, no, he's talking about the temple in Jerusalem. That's what he's talking about. And they tried to get the crowds turned against him. And were they successful in getting some people to turn against him? Absolutely. They got some people to turn against Jesus so much so that they had him arrested and they brought him in front of the crowds again. They said, we'd rather have Barabbas or Jesus. And they picked Barabbas. That's how successful they were in getting people to turn against Jesus. And they asked, well, what should we do with this Jesus? And what was their cry? Crucify him. Crucify him. If Jesus had not kept his eye on the goal, on the mission that God had sent him here to do, how do you think he would have responded to that? He could have wiped them off the face of the earth at any moment. He could have executed a revenge that was so powerful that they never would have recovered from it. He had the ability to do that if he'd gotten his eyes off the goal. But he remembered what the father sent him here to do. He remembered the mission that he was on when he came here. And because he kept his eye on the goal, he was sold out to the mission. He stayed with it in the face of all of that. And they beat him and they spit on him and they nailed him to a cross and he stuck with it the whole time when he could have responded and gotten his revenge. Hanging on the cross, they're ridiculing him. And Jesus, in Luke 23 and verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine that? The people that are attacking him and killing him and ridiculing him in the process. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's the response he had for his critics. Because he kept his eye on the goal. In Hebrews 12, there's a passage that talks about what Jesus did and why he did it. And he says in verse 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He's saying to Christians, keep your eyes on the goal. Don't get sidetracked. Don't, don't give up. Don't quit. He said, how can we do that? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's the one. You keep your eyes on him. You understand the mission. You understand the cause of Christ is bigger than you being criticized or me being criticized. There's something more important than that. 
at work here that we're part of as the church, as Christ followers. He said, he goes on to say, listen, fixing our eyes on Jesus, he's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And then he says this about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you won't give up, so that you won't quit, so that you won't get off track. Think about Jesus and what he did. Did you hear that phrase? It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Did you catch that? Why did he go through that? Why did he let them treat him that way? Why did he absorb all the abuse and the ridicule and the criticism? Why was he willing to take that? Because of the goal that God sent him here to accomplish. The joy set before him was you. It was me. Finding my way home to the Father through his sacrifice for me on the cross. You see, he understood the call on his life. He understood that Satan wanted more than anything else to get him sidetracked in all these other things. But he couldn't let himself do that because if he did, we would never have experienced the joy of knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. And he's called you today and he's called me today to represent him well in this world and help other people find their way home to Jesus too. You don't accomplish that by getting involved and working with the weapons and the attacks of the world and getting sidetracked in the arguments that are going on out there. You do that by loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving others the way God loves you, loving them enough to help them find their way home to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in Christ we have a high and holy calling and we need to learn to cope with criticism in the right way, Father. Because you've called us. you prepared in advance good work you want us to be doing. And Satan loves to get us sidetracked into all these criticisms and arguments and attacks instead of the mission to go and make disciples. Help other people find their way to knowing you and following you in their lives. Help us to get back on track, to keep our focus right. Help us to think of the joy set before us when we finish our life here on this earth and we can stand before you. And it won't matter what anybody else has ever said if we can hear your words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your Lord. Father, we want that for us. But when we love like you love, we want that for everybody else too. Help us to stay on track. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.